Acts 22, 1 through 11, beginning in verse 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus, to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. And it came to pass that, as I made my journey, and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they were with me, and they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Let us pray. Our Father, we praise you that you have given to us your word. And we give you praise that you have given to us this particular passage of scripture that we have the privilege now of reading and studying together this morning. Lord, again, we want to also thank you that you have brought us together. We know that you are the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. And we know that you are sovereign over the weather as well. And over the past few weeks, we oftentimes could not meet on the Lord's days, on Wednesdays. But Lord, we thank you now that you have brought us together again. And Lord, we pray that you would now work in us by your spirit as we hear this sermon. May you be glorified and may your people be built up in Christ. Lord, we pray use this time for our good and for your glory. And Lord, we give you thanksgiving for, again, the word, for your grace. Lord, we thank you for our families, for our homes. And Lord, we thank you, yes, even for the weather. Oftentimes we so much can complain and we are wearied about with different things. We thank you for the moisture and for providing us with all the different gifts that you do. And now we thank you and pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good to, as Brother Dean said, good to be gathered together. Amen. And uh, we, on several occasions in the last few weeks, we've, Wendy and I have been sitting and talking just uh, just how strange it is 
when uh, you, we don't gather together. It's a, it is a bizarro thing. When, when Christ is the center of your home, when he's the center of your heart, your life, um, it's interesting, isn't it, when that gets interrupted. It really does, indeed, make for a weird kind of a weird kind of week. So, so thankful this morning. Well, brethren, as we are obviously continuing in our text this morning, it is true that God, throughout every age, throughout every dispensation of time, has raised up men and women, amen, who are exceedingly bold in their faith undaunted by the threatenings of men and unflinchingly faithful to their testimony concerning God. It is a most stunning thing to consider. Whether it is Daniel, in the book of Daniel, who purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the, with the king's meat or with the wine, or the time when he indeed was told not to pray and he opened the window for all to see and he bowed down three times a day, for all the world to see and to hear, to pray to the one true God of Holy Scripture alone. These kinds of men and women God has raised up continually in every age. Or his three friends that come to our minds, brethren, amen. And again, you, you think about this for just a moment. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's image, but rather, even at the threatening of being tossed into the lion's den, uh, if you will, or into the furnace. It's an amazing thing. We think of others who were burned at the stake for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, who were stoned, who were sawn asunder, who were indeed slain with the sword, of whom the Bible says the world is not worthy. We think of some of them, don't we, brethren? John the Baptist, amen, one who was slain because he would not veer from the truth nor from God's standard. We think of Stephen, whom we've read about. We think of Antipas, right, whom Jesus mentions in the book of Revelation, the first martyr there, who's mentioned once and never mentioned again. An amazing thing, but Jesus mentions him, that he was martyred for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of William Tyndale. Just bring it a little more closer to us, amen. These, these men and women, like I said, who have been slaughtered for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. William Tyndale, John Huss, you think of John Rogers. You think of these men. Again, as we get closer to our era this morning, we think uh, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And yes, ladies, I didn't leave you out. <laughs> we think of Perpetua. We think of Blandina. We think of these, these faithful men and women who indeed died at the hands of the evil one for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have even seen now, even Wednesday evening, we talked about even the men and women of our own era, brethren. Just this past week, Brother Dean sent me another, uh, another uh, podcast and uh, talking about the slaughtering of the brothers and sisters. But all of them, brethren, and this is important as we look at those, that we consider in every age and every dispensation of time, they had indeed some Holy Ghost-empowered characteristics. Can I just say that they would not, brethren, they would not stand and go to the flame and have their heads removed uh, for nothing. There is a power that God had given them, amen, a, some characteristics. And I want you to see this again as we lay the groundwork for, 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 for uh, Paul, as we have seen him again, testifying, testifying, no matter what the threat is. And I want you to see these characteristics that we find, in fact, in the book of Daniel. So turn there with me, if you would, for just a moment as we consider this. 
We consider again through every age that God has made men and women and given them these characteristics. And I want you to see what these are because I am convinced, brother, that as we're reading these things in the book of Acts, as we're watching the persecution, as we're watching our brothers in India and all over the world, it is coming, brother, in our direction. It's going to be at a true Bible-believing church real soon. In fact, it already has arrived for some. And I want you to see these characteristics. Again, as we, if, we can, if we embolden the brethren, if we encourage the brethren this morning with our text when we get there, I want you to notice Daniel chapter 3. I look there at verse number 16, and I want you to notice the beginning of verse uh, 17 and verse 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, so in other words, they are looking to the will of God. What is God's will in this uh, situation that we are in, contending for the faith that he has certainly given to them. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, brethren, see, this is the difference. There's a big difference between saying, well, yes, God can do it, but if God chooses not to, what is our response? What was Paul's response? What was Peter's response? What was William Tyndale's response? What was Thomas Cramner's response? What were their responses when God chose to use them for his glory as martyrs for the faith? Look at these characteristics. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Flip to verse 26. Again, he just saying, if God chooses to, amen, but if he doesn't, Know this, O king, we will bow to no king but our king, the God of holy scripture. Look there again, if you will. I want you to see, again, these characteristics. That's all of these God-fearing people who have uh, testified truthfully, no matter what the threatenings of men are. Look at verse number 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth from the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and kings, and counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Amen. God can do it. Amen. God sometimes chooses to do it, which he did here. Not even the smell of fire. I wish I could exegete this a little more, but that's not the, the purpose here this morning. Look at what it says. Nor was an hair on their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. That what? That trusted in him. See, that's a characteristic that the Holy Spirit of God has to give you when, when it comes. If God chooses to, re to deliver you, amen. But if he doesn't, even so, they trusted in him. His glorious purposes, his work that's being, uh, if you will, brought forth by their martyrdoms if he chooses. But look at what else. They trusted in him totally and completely and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies. <laughs> See, they understand. Uh, it was said this morning in Bible study that the Lord, 
the ever-eternal existent one. The sovereign God owns you. Do you understand that? And this is, he can do with what whom he wishes, however he wishes, to bring your end and mine. This is what they did. They trusted in him and they yielded their whole bodies, their whole souls, their whole minds to the work of the Lord. That's what they trusted in. And so it is indeed this glorious thing that we see. They trusted. They yielded. They did the things that only the Holy Spirit of God could give them the power to do. It is the same thing we see with Paul. We see it here again over and over again. He will faithfully testify, even at the threatenings of men, no matter what they say to him, no matter what they threaten him with. He stands there boldly testifying of the Lord God himself. And brethren, again, this is something I pray that can encourage us as brothers, as saints in the Lord, because I believe, as I was talking to one brother, there's something in your mind that must take place and in your heart before the day comes. And you have to, by the power of the Spirit of God, decide in your own heart that no matter what comes, I'm going to stand there by the power of God and by His grace. Look, if they walked in right now and you have not thought this through and, and committed and yielded yourself up to, your, to the Lord God, you will give in. You will. We must indeed be as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Paul, and all of these men who gave up their lives for the gospel. And we remember the last time we were together here in the book of Acts that the Lord had, by his good pleasure, had Paul arrested. <laughs> he actually saved him. He arrested him, took him into custody, amen, uh, saving him <laughs> from what? Saving him from sure death because the Jews were busy about their Jewish business, amen. They were, you remember, beating Paul. They were going to beat him to death. In fact, if you look there, look at Acts chapter 21, look at verse number 32, just because it's been a while. Look at what happened here. The Lord, by his sovereign good pleasure, has Paul arrested. He saves him from death. Look there, Acts chapter 21, look at verse number 32. Look what the Bible says there. Who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down onto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. So again, he's arrested. He's saved by the sovereign hand of God through a high Roman ranking official. Now, Paul's God-ordained arrest opens wide the window, brother, of opportunity for him to faithfully testify. Think about this for a moment. To those who have just left off beating him. <laughs> Think of this for a moment. Most of us would probably go, I just got the daylights, the, you know, a snot knocker. I just got the daylights knocked out of me by these people, and here yet God is opening up wide the door for me to stand before them and to preach the gospel unto them. It is really quite an amazing thing. In fact, he gets to the nub of the whole thing. He directs their attention, as we're going to see. They're preaching unto him the source of the radical change that these Jews have seen and heard about him. See, there's something radical that happens. When the Lord Jesus Christ saves your soul, you understand that, right? There's something radical that takes place, something that only he can do, amen? And I, I don't ever like to bring myself into it, but I remember when the Lord saved me and the, 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 brother, the friend that I ran around with for years as a drunkard and a whoremonger and all of these things, he came to my house and he knocked on the door and he said, I don't understand what's happened to you because it was so radical. You don't come to Christ 
and walk off the same. Never. It does not happen. We talked about it this morning. It doesn't happen. When Christ saves you, he changes you. He makes you new. He creates this new creature that's different than what it used to be. Now, do we struggle along? Oh, do we battle with some things? Yes, even to this very hour, we do. But one thing we know, when you are saved, people see you just like they did to Paul, and they heard about him, this man who has been radically changed. Now look there what he does as we begin in our text this morning. Look at verses 1 and 2. Look at what he does. He's just got done speaking in Greek. Now he's going to speak in their Hebrew tongue. And when he does that, they all, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shh. Let's listen to what he has to say. Look at verse number 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that, he spake in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue to them. They kept the more silence, and he saith. What a glorious opportunity. Again, Paul here, if you will, after speaking in Greek to the, to the, to the chief captain, he addresses the Jewish multitude in the Hebrew tongue. And listen, he refers to his listeners. It's most interesting in a very personal way, just like Stephen did. If you go back when Stephen was stoned, he addressed the brothers exactly the same way. He says, men, brethren, and fathers, reminding them again that he too comes from the Jewish stock. He's reminding them of who he is. And he goes and spends the first portion of this text reminding them over and over of the things that he was. Things that they could not deny. Things that could not escape who he was. He's reminding them of that. In fact, when they hear this, they become silent. And Paul begins his defense. That word defense there is, you know, obviously a word we're all familiar with. It's an apologia. doesn't mean that Paul's apologizing. He is, he's what? He's giving his defense. That's literally the word that's there. His answer to them concerning which is where he's going after laying out his Jewish heritage and his Jewish credentials. And then we're going to see as he tells them about how he put those Jewish credentials into action. He is here, if you will, speaking to them in such a way. He's going to tell them and drag them and, and point them right to the fountain, the source of this radical change that they've heard about. Look with me, if you would, again. Paul uses this over and over again several times in the Bible. But this defense, this apologia, apologia, this, if you will, defense of the faith, this is something, brethren, that followed Paul all the days of his life. And again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There are so many things that this does to the Christian. When you remember where and who you were and what God saved you from, there's so many ramifications. And again, Paul never forgot that. He always reminded the brethren of that. And I want you to see this, this word apologia, this word of defense concerning what he's going to say. Look at 2 Timothy. As I said, this followed him all the days of his life to the very end of his life. And I want you to see this as we read together the final inspired words that we have from Paul. And I want you to see what he does, what he says, who he's focused on. Amen? Look here, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse uh, number, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 14. Look there if you would. Again, the final words that are coming out of his 
mouth. Verse 16, at my first, well, verse 15, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And again, Paul's warning about these men by name. Don't go near these guys. But look at verse 16. At my first answer, that's literally the word apology. It's the same word. At my first answer, at my first defense, what does he say? He says there, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that he may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You see that? That's the only way one will stand and, and, and get into these kinds of situations as martyrs have in the past. If God chooses not to save you out of that, then this is where the strength comes from. When he gives his answer concerning the faith that he has, it was strength, he was strengthened by God alone by the Spirit of God, for him to stand. And he says there, and strengthen me, that by my preaching, uh, by, my, by, by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, brethren, listen to this. You say, well, that's, I'm glad that that applies to Paul. Who else does it apply to? Who else does it apply to? I said that this is something that followed Paul all the days of his life up to the very end. And you know what? It follows us to this very hour. Look what Peter said. Look at 1 Peter again, a familiar portion of Scripture. He uses the same word. Brethren, when someone comes up to you and they notice, hey, he's different. You know, we can't be like the... Like, the, like uh, some of them, right? We, 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 we win by lifestyle, right? No, because Mormons can win by lifestyle, amen? There's good people who can win by the way they live. You must utter. You must speak. You must preach the gospel to them. Look what Peter says here, and again, a very familiar portion, the same exact word. Paul, through his whole life, you and I, through our whole lives, must as be prepared. Look here, 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, a portion of scripture that is very familiar to us. Interestingly enough, all through 1 Peter, as you know, there's five chapters. And you know what's in all five chapters? Suffering and persecution. All five of them. Every one of them it's mentioned. Every one of them it's, they're told how to, uh, if you will, plow through by the power of God. Every chapter, every one of them. Suffer, suffer, suffer. You know why? Because old Nero was having, what, some lamp parties with all the Christians around, burning them at the, at the stake, literally for lamps. So Peter's going, hey, just so you know, amen, the faith is sound and true, and you must do this. When Nero's army comes for you, when his soldiers knock on your door, this is what you must be ready to do. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake... Happy are ye. Be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Do you see that? That's something that takes place. That's something that grows over time in your faith, that you're sanctifying him. You are submitting to him. You are doing at all costs what he would have you to do. Look what he says. Not only are we to sanctify God in our hearts, we're to be ready to what? To give an answer, an apologia, an apologia for the hope. What does he say there? Uh, uh, always be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we see here again, brother, God, all through the ages of time, Paul, Peter, all of them, gave him these glorious characteristics. We must, as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. This is what Paul is doing. As we have seen all along since he's been converted by the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what he's done. He's been ready. He's been ready to go. And by the power of the Spirit of God, he has preached faithfully the word of the Lord Jesus Christ at any cost. Any cost. And we too, brethren, must be ready to give an answer. In fact, what happens here is we're going to see a holy pattern emerges through Paul's defense. This is what's glorious about it. See, I always think about Brother Keith a lot of times. You know, he, you know God never takes something away without filling it with something holy, right? So, if it, you know, he says, you know, don't steal anymore, but what? Work. So he takes away that sin, and then he fills it back up and says, this is the holy thing, amen? And this is precisely what we see that uh, all throughout Paul's ministry. We see this thing. It's an amazing thing. This holy pattern emerges through Paul's defense. A pattern, I said, that follows him all the days of his life. A holy design that continues to this very hour. This very thing we're talking about is as applicable today as it was 1987 years ago when Paul was living this out. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, how the scripture doesn't change. Now look what he does also. Not only does he really lay this, he says, men, brethren, and fathers. He's, you know, speaking to them in such an endearing way. And again, brethren, this goes to our attitude. Brethren, have you ever met an arrogant, hard-hearted Christian who could give one wit about lost people? Who could give one wit about it? You ask them, and they know everything. You, you ask them something, and even if you say, hey, well, what about this over here in the Bible? You're condemned immediately. I mean, I know some people like that. You know when you understand this, when you understand what Paul understood, that will keep you from being that way very quickly, very quickly. Look what Paul does. He speaks to them first in endearing terms, and then look what he does in verse number three. He, you know, men, brethren, and fathers, listen. I'm one of you. I was one of you. Look what he does in verse number three. He really gets down into the nitty gritty of who he was. And I want you to remember that, who he was. Because when he's done with who he was, he's going he's gonna to lay it out on them, who he has become because of who Christ is. And that's really the pattern we're going to see. If you never forget how unholy you were, and where you lived in your sin, oh, brethren, we'll have much compassion for those who are still blind like we were. Although there are some where you shake the dust and you go, but there are some where you show compassion. Paul is doing that here. He's speaking to them in endearing terms. And then he says this, hey, look, I'm one of you. I was one of you. Look at verse 3. I am verily a man which am a Jew. <laughs> You're a Jew, I'm a Jew. He's speaking to them in common terms. Born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. <laughs> what an amazing thing for him to say. Hey, men, brothers, and fathers, you realize, right, that I'm a Jew. You realize that I grew up in this certain city. I was outside the city, but I sat at the feet of Gamaliel right here in this city. I was trained by him. I lived my life according to what he taught and what they believe the Old Testament scriptures taught. Listen to what it says. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And was what? 
zealous toward God, brother, listen, as ye all are this day. You see what Paul did there? He, he speaks to them in endearing terms, and then he says, hey, look, I was just like you. I was indeed zealous. I was indeed zealous for the traditions of my father. I was just like you. Amazing, isn't it, what he does? Keeps it just right there. It's an amazing thing. He, again, reminds them. And he describes to them his life before he was saved. A picture that all of them knew well. Again, this isn't something that, you know, that's a secret. They all knew it well. He reminds them that although he was born outside of the promised land, which he was, that's why he put Cilicia in there. He's born outside of the promised land. However, you remember, brethren, that I was trained. I sat at the feet at one of, the, of one of the most prestigious and, if you will, honored rabbis amongst us. So again, he's drawing them in. He's saying, look, this is who I was. This is what I did. This is my education. This is my training. This is who I was as a man. He was indeed a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law of Pharisee, he said, amen. As far as keeping the law to the minutest detail, he kept it to the minutest detail as the spiritual, if you will, elites of the day taught it. He followed it to the letter. See what he's doing? He's just bringing them in. Say, look. I know what you're accusing me of, but I was just like you. I was. In fact, I was zealous. In fact, more zealous than you. Look at Romans chapter 10. Look at verse Romans chapter 10. Look again. He uses this word over here. Speaking of his men, brethren, and fathers. Now, brethren, this should teach us a good lesson. You know what this teaches us? <laughs> I'm always reminded. I got his brother Howard. Somebody always says that, right? You can be sincere, but if you're sincerely wrong, it's a horrible thing. You can be zealous. Think of this, brother. Think of what some of these religious sects around us today are doing. Our brothers that were killed last week, martyred last week, were killed by Muslims because they have a zeal. They're zealous. There is a passionate fervor for what they think their ill-conceived and ill-perceived God is telling them to do. Oh, we must be careful. We, if we're going to be zealous, we must be zealous for godly, Christ-like things. So often the church today is so unzealous, so unholy, it's a disgusting, sick thing to watch. Look at Romans chapter 10. I quote this a lot, verse number 1. But look at verses 1 and 2. And three, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. There's Paul. There's his compassion again. We know this. He loved those people. He says, verse two, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They have a burning passion. The problem is the burning passion, just like your sincerity, is in the wrong place. And in the wrong thing. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
for they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted, there it is, themselves unto the God, the righteousness of God. So again, we see this, don't we? They have a zeal, a zealousness for God, but they are not submitting to him. And brethren, that's why it's so important. This is why Paul's he's reminding them, you know what? <clears throat> I was zealous just like you. Exactly like you are. But I did it in ignorance. Remember, he says that. That's why Paul here, again, that's why there is a distinguishing mark. And we kind of saw it last summer when we were out street preaching. There are some people who are so rabid and in your face, you just shake the dust off your feet, and you go elsewhere and preach to someone else. And those other someone else's are the ones we have compassion on. You know why? Because they are just like we were. Blind and unregenerate. It's an amazing thing. It keeps us so right, brethren. It really does. Paul, not only does he do that, but he continues, if you will, to cement his Jewish credentials by drawing their attention not just to the zeal, but, brethren, the zeal in action. You understand what that means? I mean, you can have zeal and do nothing. Paul had zeal, and he did a lot of things. He put that zeal, that zealousness, that was obviously wrong, but he put it to work. It's an action that he did. Look what he does. Again, he's, again, laying this groundwork. <clears throat> when I was preaching at the Marilyn Manson concert, <laughs> that, was, that was a grand old time, let me tell you. Ready-made audience, hundreds of people lining up there. Then they couldn't go anywhere because if they left line, they, <laughs> they'd have to go to the back of the line. So stood in the curb. And for whatever reason, I was talking to Brother Harrison Wednesday night. For whatever reason, God gave me this whole idea that I was just like you. That's what I preached to them. I was just like you. That's what I was. And then some limp-wristed Christian come out of the crowd and comes up to me and goes, I'm a Christian too. You're giving us a bad name. I said, no, sir, you're not. You're either backslidden or you are not a Christian because no Christian's going to hang out with this kind of stuff. You're going to be preaching righteousness against it. But you know what, buddy? I was just like you. I used to be like you. Is what Paul is saying. That's why when you go to Marilyn Manson or go stand on the street corner, Lord willing, this summer, go down to the festivals, whatever, whatever colored festival they're going to have, <laughs> you can preach with compassion. You can preach with concern. You know why? Because but by the grace of God, and this is not a cheap thing to say ever, brethren, but by the grace of God, there go I. Period. That's it. That's it. Look at Acts 22. Look at verse number 4. Paul putting his zeal into action. I love what he does here. He says this. Look at verse number 4. I persecuted this way unto the death, bringing and delivering into prison both men and women. You see what he did there? He says, I'm, I was just like you. I was zealous for the law of God. I was zealous for these things. I kept it perfectly. I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. In fact, I was more than that. I was doing what you were trying to do to me. You were trying to kill me. I actually did it. I actually followed through. Look at Philippians chapter 3, again, a familiar portion of Scripture. Again, this zeal being put into place and into play. He 
on several occasions, again, brethren, throughout the New Testament, Paul never leaves this place. He never forgets it, ever. Look at Philippians chapter 3, again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us, but I want you to see this, because he specifically says this. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he, were, <coughs> that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, which I already said, Paul himself said it. But look at this here. Concerning zeal, what? Persecuting the church. That was his zeal in action. That's what he was busy doing. And that's what he's telling them. Persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is of the law. What? Blameless. Perfect. He's telling those Jews. He was a Jew speaking to a Jew. I was just like you. I kept the law perfectly. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am indeed and was a Jew of Jews. And just in case. Just in case one uh, if you will, didn't remember Paul the persecutor because this is 25 years later, right? And just in case one may not remember it or one may not exactly know it, what does he tell them to do? Hey, you can go where? You can go to the leaders, the Israel leaders. You can go to the elders. You can go to the Pharisees. And you know what? They've got it written down. They wrote it down. Just in case anybody forgets, they wrote it down. Look at verse 5. Just in case you don't remember it, you can go ask them. Because they wrote it down. Look back at Acts 22. Look at verse number 5. Isn't this amazing? Paul is covering all of the bases. He's drawing them in. And there's a reason, brethren, because again, there's a radical surgery Spiritual surgery that has to take place. That has to change a man from the inside out. And if it doesn't, you remain this. And this is what Paul is saying. Look there at verse number 5. Hey, if you don't remember Paul, a persecutor, go ask the high priest and these elders. They've got it written down for you. Look there. As also the high priest doth bear me witness. All the estate of the elders, <laughs> from whom I also receive letters unto the brethren went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So <clears throat> we have this written down. Go ask them. They'll tell you what kind of man I was. Before the Lord Jesus Christ saved my wretched soul, changed my religiosity. Oh, brethren, look, this is severe. This is severity at its worst. Brethren, listen, <laughs> when, when one is lost... And has grown up in a, in a, what can I say, in a, in a sewer trough, in a pig pen, like I did. Howard, I could probably say that of you as well. Many of us grew up that way. And when the Lord grabs a hold of you, you know, brethren, you see it immediately. You see that. You want to know a dangerous place to be? One who's very religious. That is a deep, although the Lord, by his power, by his command, saves them too. But there's nothing more hard-headed than someone who thinks they've kept the law and they're religious according to what God has said. There isn't, brother. Paul is saying, that's who I was. 
I was a religious man. And just in case you don't understand who I was and what I did, the elders and the priests, the high priest wrote it down. And brethren, it's here, really, that our Christ-like affections are kindled. As Paul, again, in this text, this is what's so amazing about it, is that he is not blaming them for trying to kill him. As I said, he says that in his former religious state, this is why he lays the groundwork, in my former religious state, you know what, brethren, I did, and to this day I would still continue to be doing exactly what you are doing. But, what's my favorite conjunction words? But God. And he lays that out there. And then he does this. He lays the stream out there. He now is going to wade, if you will, my own little mind. He's going to wade deep down into the flow in the river of the source of the radical change in his life. Nothing like a great testimony of who you were, what you were, and then launch into that with, but this is who Christ has made me a new creature. Now, what we're going to do is, I want to read actually verses 6 through 21, and uh, because again, we looked intently at Paul's conversion account back in Acts chapter 9. You know what the difference is between Acts 9 and this one, and all the ones that follow? The difference is, this is Paul telling it. It was Luke that narrated it in Acts chapter 9. Paul here now, over and over and over again. It's he himself in first person telling of it. That's the difference. That never leaves him. But look at here. Let's just read this together again because we did indeed go into this in depth. But I want you to hear Paul's testimony. And it came to pass, verse 6, as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What, will, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of the things which thou art appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, I was, you know, the timing of things is interesting. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having of a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And that same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee. <laughs> well, Again, we went into all that. That thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again unto Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste. Get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that, uh, that I am prison and beat in every synagogue, uh, and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. 
And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, see, again, he's just recounting his life before, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Paul here just begins now again to draw them in and to keep speaking as a Jew, as a former Jew. This is what happened to me. This is what I came, this is how I came to be who I am. In fact, I was thinking about this. One thing you'll notice about the text is that Paul precedes them, proceeds to tell them, listen, about who sought him. There's so much doctrine here. I, I mean, we could be here a long time. Who? That's the important thing. Not what, who. Who sought him? He, in this testimony that he's given here, amen, he speaks about who came to him and who spoke to him and about who it is that saved his religious soul. It's about the who. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about, as I called it earlier, the fountain. There's a fountain filled with what? Blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. This is his testimony. This is who I was. This is who I am because of who he is. No credit of himself, none. It was God who went after him. It was God who sought him out. It was God who came to him. It was God moving and working. And again, this is something that never, ever left his mind. Again, I told you in chapter 9, it was Luke who narrated the account of his conversion. From here on out and many more times, it is Paul himself who speaks of this glorious conversion. He faithfully testifies to the deep, spiritual, radical surgery that took place to him and was done by Christ to his inner man. Now listen, we can't read them all, but I'm just going to tell you where they're at. Here in Acts 22, he tells this to the Jews. In Acts chapter 26, the same thing. He tells it to the Gentiles. He's preaching his testimony to the Jews. He's preaching this testimony to the Gentiles. And again, we, we read it in, Philipp in Philippians chapter 3, where he kind of lays it out there again. And he tells it for theological reasons. Amen. It's always good to be theological in your teaching. And finally, he tells it in 1 Timothy, which I'm going to read and close with this morning. He tells it to encourage the brethren. He tells it and shows us, what did I say earlier? There's a pattern in Paul's life that begins here. And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 with me. We'll read this together. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at as he expounds upon what the Lord Jesus Christ, what God the Father, and what the Holy Spirit did to him. Look here at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look there at verse number 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer. There he goes again, right? We've read this. He's a, he's a if you will, what is he called? And a persecutor, an injurious. He was a violent aggressor against them. But I obtained what? Mercy. There it is. This is why Paul, as he's standing here before these brethren, he understands. What did we say this morning in Bible study? 
that salvation belongeth unto God. How in the world, brethren, as Howard laid it out this morning in Bible study, over and over and over again in the Old Testament, in almost every book, from, as, as we said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit was there working, and Jesus claimed to be there. From the opening passages, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are being presented to the Jewish people. And over, Howard did a great, over, and go watch it if you did. Over and over again, he saw where it was the Lord, the ever-eternal self-existent one, right next to the Lord, who is what? Sovereign over all things. In complete control. How can it be that over and over again, this is presented to them over and over again. Paul's presenting it here. And they still, I mean, when we get on, they want to kill him when he's done here again. But you think about this for a moment. Paul understands. He has deep compassion because he knows. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. These men are blind just like he was. Blind. Dead in their sins. Dead in their trespasses. And it is his compassion that he shows because he knows this is how I was. Verse 13, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And he knows he's standing before some who are ignorant and doing it in unbelief. He's compassionate towards them because of it. Look there if you would at verse 14. We got mercy in verse 13. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Here we have mercy, and then we got grace. He's understanding this. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save what? Good people? To save religious people? No, he came to save us all who are sinners. All of us. Every last one of us are sinners. We've disobeyed God in one area or another, I, well, how are I, I don't want to keep referring back, but when you break, what does James say? When you break one law, you've broken how many? All of them. You're guilty of all of them. Well, you say, well, I've never stolen anything. Have you ever, have you ever blasphemed God? Well, if you blaspheme God, then you've broken the, all the law. It's like a, it's like a mirror. <laughs> well, it's what it is. You shatter it in one place, the whole mirror shatters. That's what is taught in Scripture. You, you disobey in one area. You disobey God once. You've broken the whole law. You are guilty of the whole ton of it. Paul knew that. He says, verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. There it is again. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering For a what? For a pattern. You see that there? Our text begins, and it has been building up to this glorious pattern of Paul. This is what he does over and over again. I was like this. Christ saved me. He sought me, and he made me like I am now, a new creature. Look at that. For a pattern to them which should what? Hereafter, believe on him. Amen? To life everlasting. Now unto the king. I love this verse. Eternal, immoral, invisible. The only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We can all say amen to that. Amen. This is Paul. This is what he has done. This is what we see in the text. This is what we see in his life. 
a pattern, which, brethren, is a glorious thing. Let me just close with a practical point. There's several of them, but let me just bring a couple out that really stick out to me in my mind. I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Paul never forgot. He never forgot where he was saved from by the work of God the Father, by the Holy Ghost, and by Jesus Christ. Never forgot that. He always remembered that. His faithful testimony followed him all the days of his life. Listen, it kept him from becoming calloused, arrogant, unloving, and hard-hearted towards those who were steeped in blindness just like he was. What can we learn from this? What, 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 how can we apply this text and the text that we've looked at? Well, very simply, brother, we act and understand the same way Paul did. God changes what? Nothing. Paul's pattern did not change. Therefore, we too should engage in this holy pattern. We must never, ever forget who we were, where we came from, when the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God came to us, sought us out. We must never forget that. Ever, ever, ever. This will indeed, brethren, keep us from becoming calloused. See that? I, I seem like I'm repeating myself, but I see it too much. People get saved. And one thing I do have to agree with some of those who point their finger at us sometimes when they say something stupid like this. They'll say something stupid and then something that makes sense. They'll say something stupid like this. Well, you know, he became a Christian. All of a sudden, all his friends are Christians. Yeah, yeah, right? Because that's the way it should be. The problem is what happens to some when all their friends become Christians. You know what they start doing? Looking down their nose at the sinners. They become hard and calloused, arrogant, unloving. You know why? Because they forgot where they came from and what God saved them from. Amen? May we never do that. May we be, have compassion on those whom are blind. It's like one pastor said, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm out preaching. We're out preaching, Lord willing, this summer. What am I going to do? You know, if a blind man walks by me, am I going to stick my foot out and trip him? He can't see. No. We'll have compassion on those whom we should have compassion. And we will indeed, brethren, follow Paul's other pattern. And that is shake the dust, if need be. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we have spent just a little time together this morning with your word open. And we are so thankful and so grateful for the Bible. Can I, can I kind of summarize it? Not in, a, not in a weird way, but basically we've seen in our text that Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so. We have seen Paul's pattern his life, and <clears throat> we will see that in the end, he practiced what he preached right up until, well, you could hear 
I'm sure the sharpening of the sword that would remove his head from his body because he refused to shrink away from the testimony of God. And Father, we have seen many others and we pray right now for our brethren who are in India and in Pakistan and in these different countries where indeed the sound of the sword is real. They can hear it whipping in the air. And yet there they stand, faithful, because they have those Holy Ghost-given characteristics. And that is that they have completely and totally trusted in you. And yes, they have indeed completely and totally yielded their bodies unto you, knowing full well that you are perfect and good, that their end and our ends are in your hands. And whatever they might be and whatever it might be, it is because you have indeed ordained it to come to pass. So, Father, we pray as American Christians who, for the most part, don't hear that sword yet. But I am convinced that if not in my generation, surely my children's generation, they will hear it. They will indeed need to be empowered by the Spirit of God to stand, to remain faithful, to continue to, if you will, tell their testimony of who they were and who it is that made them the way they are, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for them and we pray for ourselves. We pray for our brethren this morning who are not well. We pray for their well-being, both physical and spiritual. I can say for myself here this morning, I know my, my own family. We're so thankful that you would allow us, the sun shining, that you would allow us to be together once again. Oh, how we crave for that. And now, Lord, as we gather around your table together, we thank you and we remember. <laughs> we proclaim his death till he come. We pray these things all now in the name of our Lord Jesus.